begin our reading John chapter 10 and in verse 11. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I laid out my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I laid out my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? You know, as we looked at it last week, what we considered there was the door. Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep pen. And what we saw last week as we focused on kind of extensively is a need for a shepherd. We looked all the way back into the Old Testament and recognized that Israel called their leaders shepherds. In fact, when Moses was about to pass off the scene, he asked God, give them a shepherd, someone who would bring them in and take them out. And God appointed Joshua. David was recognized that even during the reign of Saul, that he was kind of, in a practical way, became the one that would lead Israel out and bring them back in. And, and so he's already kind of providing the function of a shepherd in some ways, but God says that he would make him his shepherd, his, the prince over Israel. And then even later in Ezekiel, when God was condemning the shepherds who were doing a lousy job and not going after His sheep and bringing them back in the fold and not providing for the sheep and protecting the sheep, God says, you know what, you guys are fired. Now I'm going to do it myself. And then that culminated in Him predicting this one that would be of the house of David. In fact, He actually referred to Him as David and would be the shepherd of His people. And now Jesus comes and is fulfilling that office and He stands before these people and He proclaims that He's that One. He is that Good Shepherd that was to come. And so now it is right to recognize Him as the Good Shepherd. In fact, it was prophesied about Him and fulfilled at His birth. Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, quoting from Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Last week we looked at Jesus saying, I am the door of that sheep pen. This week we're looking at, I am the good shepherd. Well, we talked about last week how that pointed to two things. It pointed to provision and protection. Right When a shepherd leads his sheep out, he's taking them out to green pastures, out to clear water. He's providing for them the sustenance that they need. And when he brings them back into the sheep pen at night, he's bringing them back into a secure environment where they're protected and watched over. And so that's the, really the job, the nuts and bolts of being a shepherd, is provision and protection. You provide for them the things that they need, and you protect them from the things that will harm them. Well, we kind of finished last week with looking at the need for protection among us, the flock of God. And we recognize that down through the ages, Israel had false prophets that would rise up among them and that were compared to wolves that would come in and scatter and harm the sheep. And then we saw that in the New Testament in our day, we recognize that there were false apostles 
Just as there were false prophets that arose in Israel's day, there would be false prophets that would arise in our day, false teachers that would arise in our day. They would proclaim a different gospel, even though they would still use the same term. They would teach a different Jesus, even though still using the same name. And so we recognize by the time we came to the end of that passage that we have a, we have a great need for a shepherd. We have a need for that direction, for that provision that Christ provides in our life and then, and then by extension through leadership within the church, He, he provides in a practical way for the protection, the protection that we find within the security of the Word of God as we get to understand it clearly. So what we're looking at here today is what do we need in Jesus or what is that Good Shepherd? What are the things that make Him good? And so in this passage, as we look through it, there are basically four qualities of this Good Shepherd. The first quality that we see of the Good Shepherd is that He sacrifices. He lays down His own life for the sheep. Now, a shepherd job was a hazardous job. You know, if you'll remember when David, just a young shepherd, says, I'm taking care of my father's flocks. I've taken down both a lion and a bear. The shepherd really would risk his life when you're looking at robbers that would come and steal and kill or predators that would come and do harm to the sheep. That is a risk of their life, but Jesus says He went beyond risking His life and actually laid His life down. And that's obviously an emphasis in this passage. It starts off in chapter 10, verse 11. He says, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. Again, in verse 15, He says, I lay down My life for the sheep. In verses 17 through 18, he says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And so he willingly lays his life down as a sacrifice for our sins to provide for us eternal life. What does a good shepherd do? He sacrifices. And that was effective. And part of the way that he communicates the effectiveness of it, he says, I have the authority to lay it down and also to take it back up. And so Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead. And when you think about it, this is going to have to factor into this sacrifice because when you look at a shepherd out with the sheep, if a shepherd is killed by a predator, then what condition are the sheep in? The sheep are still ultra vulnerable at that time because now they're a bunch of sheep out on the hillside without even a shepherd around to protect them. So they're still ultra vulnerable. But in this case with Jesus, it is the opposite because even though He would lay down His life for the sheep, He would take it back up again and rise up in victory over sin and death. And so we are completely protected by our Good Shepherd through His sacrifice for us. But then not only does He sacrifice, notice what He says, He says, that He knows. He knows His sheep. In verses 14 and 15, it says, I am the Good Shepherd. I know My own, and My own know Me. Just as the Father knows Me, and I know the Father, and I lay down My life for the sheep. He compares His knowledge of us, the way that He knows us, to the way He knows the Father. It's communicating an intimate relationship. In the next passage that we deal with, He's going to be proclaiming, I and My Father are one. There's a real unity there. There's an intimacy of knowledge. And you know that word know is used throughout the Bible in just such a way. Even back in the very beginnings in Genesis, it would very often say about a man, and he knew his wife and she conceived and gave birth to a child. And so that word know is even used in the most intimate of details of a very close 
relationship. Jesus says, I know my sheep. It's like I know my Father. I know them. He also, chapter 10, verse 3, He said, to him the gatekeeper opens. Him being the good shepherd is proved by two points. Right, One is that he's recognized by the gatekeeper. Remember, the gatekeeper wouldn't let anybody that wasn't the shepherd that brought the sheep there back to get the sheep. That's why he's saying anybody else would have to climb in a different way. So Jesus says, it says, to him the gatekeeper opens. Because he's welcome there. Why? Because they're his sheep. And he says, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. And he leads them out. The true shepherd, the good shepherd, would be acknowledged by two things. He'd be acknowledged by the gatekeeper, recognizes him as the owner of the sheep, and he's recognized by the sheep as they hear his voice and they respond to his voice. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And so repeatedly through John chapter 10, Jesus keeps talking about how He knows His sheep and how they know His voice and He knows them. And He says, I call them by name and I lead them out. Shepherding in Israel was, as far as knowing their sheep, that was a regular practice. There were sheep that were raised for um, slaughter and for sacrifice and stuff like that. And so there were some larger quantities of sheep. But your typical shepherd in Israel just had half a dozen to a dozen sheep. And they were raised for wool. And so he, he would have them sheep for a considerable length of time. And it says that they would give their sheep names, kind of little pet names. When Daniel was young, he had a lizard for a while. You can't pet it. A pet's a bad name for it because you can't pet it because it had all these spikes all over its back and sides and stuff. Dan got tired of it after a little while and decided to give it away. And, and this little girl in town that lived over across from the school, Mariah Lane, she decided she wanted this lizard. And so she was all excited. She comes over to pick up her new lizard and she gets it. And she was told what the lizard's name was. And I don't remember what our name for it was. But she says, oh no, that's not going to be its name. She was changing the name. And we said, okay, well, what are you changing the name to? Fluffy. She said, <laughs> that lizard is anything but fluffy. The shepherds would often find a distinctive feature about the sheep and that's what they would call it. And the shepherds would come and when they come to the pen, they would just start calling out the sheep's name and the sheep would recognize the shepherd's voice and they would come and he would lead them out. He says, I, I know my sheep. Just as a good shepherd knew his sheep. And that's important because you know different sheep might be skittish about different things. One sheep might be afraid of you know, shadows or different things or noise from a waterfall or different things. And that shepherd's going to need to know those things about the sheep in order to provide for them as best as they're needed. And Jesus says, look, in my relationship with my sheep, He says, look, I know my sheep. In fact, so much so that He say, if I don't know you, then you're not, you're not my sheep. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21-23, through 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of My Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, obviously, it's not just talking about knowing about somebody because Jesus knows about everybody. In fact, earlier in John, he talked about how he knew what was in all men. And so he didn't disclose himself to some people because he knew what was in them. When the Bible talks about God knowing us, that means to know us in a saving way. To know us in a close and intimate 
understanding. But then not only that, closely aligned with this is not only does he know his sheep, but it says he is known by his sheep. In verses 4 and 5, he says, When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. In verse 8, he says, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. The voices that are going on in their society at this time, you have what would be considered the shepherds of Israel, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders. They're going to have a lot of voices that are against Christ, but Christ's sheep will not listen to those voices. But they will put their faith in Jesus Christ. Once again, we see in this passage again, it says, and the people were divided. Why were they divided? Because Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and some of them are saying, absolutely He is. Why? Because they're His sheep. And others are saying, no, they are not His sheep. And they're rejecting Him. You know, the Bible talks about in the last day when Christ comes back, it says He's going to gather all the peoples of the world before Him and He's he's going to be that shepherd. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And the sheep are going to go off into life eternal and the goats are going to go off into an eternal hell. As Jesus shepherds His people. In verses 14 and 15, He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I know my own, and my own know me. In verse 16, he says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. You know, John also in his epistle, 1 John, in chapter 4, verse 6, he says, We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. In chapter 2, in verses 18 through 21, he's going to talk about some false teachers that went astray. It says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. Why? Because if they were His sheep, they would hear Him and they would follow Him. And the fact that they're no longer following Him means that they're not His sheep. But then notice what He says. He says, but you, so in contrast to them who left, but you, what is the difference between them? You have been anointed by the Holy One. That's the work of the Holy Spirit that the Father puts within us. That's that regenerating work, that 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 indwelling work of the Holy Spirit that comes and abides within us and lives within us. And that's the reason that we hear His voice and we follow Him. And it's the reason that we remain faithful to Him. He says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. He says, I'm not writing to you. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. He's not writing to the people that left who don't know the truth, who need to know the truth. He said, I'm writing to you who who remain because you know the truth. Why do they know the truth? Because they have that anointing of the Holy Spirit. Because they are His sheep. Because of that purpose, they are remaining within Him. It's kind of like what Jesus said in Matthew 24. Similar context to John because He's talking about Antichrist. But He's actually looking forward to the Antichrist coming. And it says, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. If it were possible, they'd be able to deceive even the very elect. 
But the point is, it's not possible. It's an amazing thing. It's kind of back to that divine sovereignty, human responsibility thing because he's saying it's not possible to deceive the elect and at the same time, he's carrying out the function by saying, look, you're going to see these things happen and don't fall for them. And so part of the reason, part of the way that it is not possible to see the elect is because the elect hear the warnings of Christ ahead of time and prepare themselves and say, you know what, I'm not going to fall for those things. And so both those things work together in an amazing way. It's, it's kind of a mystery in the Bible how that fits together. So what do we see in a good shepherd so far? The good shepherd we see says, look, I am the good shepherd. I laid out my life for, for my sheep. He says, so it's sacrifice. He says, look, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. That's a sign of a good shepherd. He knows us. We know him. We have that anointing which allows us to know him or helps us. But then lastly, we see that he gathers. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. What is he talking about? What other sheep is he talking about? He's talking about Gentiles. He came to the lost sheep of Israel. And Israel was the chosen people of God. And Jesus came as their Messiah, as their Deliverer. And He came to the Jewish nation. In fact, you know what? If we look back at Matthew chapter 10, verses 5-7, through 7, now at this point, He's going to send out the twelve apostles. He's sending them out on a little missionary trip to go out and preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick and the lame. And this is what he tells them. He says, These twelve Jesus sent out instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. Remember, obviously Gentiles are the Gentile world, non-Jewish world, pagan world outside of Israel. The Samaritans were a, a Jewish and Gentile mix. There were Jewish people that after the dispersion comes back, then they, they settled in with Gentile people. And so there's kind of a mixed group up there. And he says, don't go to the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so Jesus went only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You know, in Acts chapter 1, in verse 8, as Jesus is ascending up into heaven, everything changes. And Jesus tells them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea. They wouldn't have any problem with that. But then he goes on to say, and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now that Jesus has died on the cross and paid for our sins, he says, all right, apostles, now we're going to go bigger. Now you're going to start right here in Jerusalem, witnessing to the Jews and all of Judea. But then you're also going to go up into Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And you'd think they would have put together a strategy for global missions at that point. They didn't. They totally missed it. But they began preaching the gospel in, Judea, in Jerusalem. And then in all the countryside of Judea, heavy persecution broke out and they started kind of moving farther out on the outskirts to get away from the persecution to protect their families. And pretty soon they happened to share the gospel with some Samaritans. And they see that, wow, God can save the Samaritans too. And then it would take a vision to Peter where Peter would actually get in an argument with God in Acts chapter 10. God trying to show him that, look, you're calling these Gentiles unclean. Don't call them unclean. And taking the gospel to them, and Peter argues with God about it, and finally loses the argument and understands what God's teaching them, and they begin to take the gospel to the Gentiles. The apostle Paul is unique among the apostles in a couple different ways. One of the ways that he's unique is that he said he was like as one untimely born, right? He wasn't there for the ministry of Jesus and witness all that. He wasn't there and witnessed the resurrection of Christ. And 
But he saw the risen Christ later. So he was different in that way. But the other way that he was different than the other apostles is that he was specifically the apostle to the Gentiles. And even as he went from city to city, he would go in first and preach the gospel in the synagogues to the Jewish people and then take it out to the Gentiles of the city as well. You know, in Acts chapter 18, we find the Apostle Paul and his ministry in Corinth. He comes to the city of Corinth. And the first thing he does, just like always, he goes into the synagogue and begins to teach Christ in the synagogue. It says, When they had opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And so he's leaving the synagogue because he's predominantly rejected, but he's not going far. He's just going right next door, and the leader of the synagogue is going with him. And so God's doing a great work here. It says, And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. And so he's getting some fierce opposition, but yet at the same time some believers out of this as well. And God tells him, just go on boldly preaching. Don't be afraid. Why? Because I have, I have many people here. Well, who are these people? They're the sheep of the fold that Jesus was talking about. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. They're not part of the fold of Israel. I have all these Gentiles that are going to come to faith in Christ and they're going to be brought in, brought into the same flock. In Ephesians chapter 2, he talks about this extensively. It says in verse 11 through 22, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, because that was the sign of the Abrahamic promise to the Israelites. Um, it says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two. So in place of the two, Jews and Gentiles, one new man, just like it said in John, back into one flock under one shepherd that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit." And so he writes to these people and he says, look, you, you remember, you were alienated. You were separated from the promises of God. You weren't part of the covenants of Israel. You, weren't, you didn't have the Word of God. He says, but in these days in Christ, God has made the two one. 
He is saved out from among the Jews, His sheep. And He's calling in from among the Gentiles, His sheep. And they're one body, one temple, through one Spirit. That's a shepherd gathering His sheep. And He's been doing that for 2,000 years. Gathering now Jews and Gentiles into one body, which is the church. He would go on into chapter 3. And I had that actually. I wanted to share that with you too. But I figure there's kind of a lot of reading we're getting into here this morning. But the Apostle Paul calls it a mystery. He says a mystery that wasn't known before, but has been revealed to us through, through the apostles. And he says, I have clear insight into the ministry, how God has broken down that wall that was between us. And in Christ, we experience this mystery of unity being one man together in Christ. And so Jesus is gathering. We can see hints of it. The Apostle Paul called it a mystery. But you know, if you look back through the Old Testament, there are some pretty strong hints that this is where it was going. In fact, in Galatians, the Apostle Paul, looking back on the Old Testament promise to Abraham, he would say this in uh, in chapter 3, verses 7-9, through nine, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify Gentiles by faith, preach the Gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The last part of the promise was, and through you, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And the Apostle Paul looks at that and he says, look, God preached the Gospel of Christ that we can see happening now by everybody coming to Christ, the whole world being presented with the Gospel. God was preaching the Gospel to Abraham saying, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And so there was that indication. But not only that, Jesus pointed out some other things in Luke chapter 4. Verses 24 through 27. Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months. And a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And he looks back in the days of Elijah and Elijah, under the wicked king, he says, Elijah goes and tells him there's not going to be rain for three and a half years. And so they go through that drought. See, Elijah goes to a widow's house. She's about to make her last meal, and then her and her son starved to death. And Elijah comes and says, hey, you got something to eat? And Elijah says, well, why don't you make me something to eat first? And she made something for Elijah to eat, and he ate, and her jars never emptied. And she was provided for during the whole time of the drought and the famine. And Jesus looks at them and he says, there were a lot of widows in Israel at the time, but... You know, that woman wasn't from Israel. She wasn't part of Israel. God reached out to this Gentile widow and her son and provided for him through the ministry of Elijah. And then He uses Elisha also who would follow Elijah. There were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Well, Jesus uses that as an example and says, look, there's a lot of lepers around in Israel at the time, but only the Syrian gets cleansed of his leprosy. So you can see some indications where even in the Old Testament where Gentile people were being reached out to by God. I think the book of Ruth, for one, she was a Moabite. Moabites were cursed under God. You have Gentile blood coming into the line of Christ. She's in the lineage of Christ. And so you have that as well. So there's lots of little indications that God... uh, There are more than little indications. There are a proclamation of the Gospel in the Old Testament pointing to the coming of Jesus and Him gathering not just Israel together, but the whole world together into one fold under His shepherd. You know, in Matthew chapter 15... 
It talks about a woman. It says that Jesus went away from there and, and withdrew to a district of Tyre and Sidon. Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he would not answer her a word. He just ignores her at first. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. But Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Now, was Jesus just being really mean? No. He's leading her and everybody else to a point. Even though He was going to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, there were places where He extended and even began to reach out. That should, it should have been preparing the disciples for going to the whole world. We've seen in John already, remember there was an official whose son was sick. This is a Gentile official that comes to Jesus and says, my son is sick and Jesus heals him without even going there. And so there are some indications that this would go worldwide like that. Jesus is that Good Shepherd. And a Good Shepherd gathers His sheep. He sacrificed for us. He knows us and we know Him. Us. When we begin to stray, when we begin to wander, He pulls us back. And that is desperately needed in our life.